Well, it's been a minute, but I'm back. Welcome to Killing Time with Arch, the show about nothing where I interview people who I find interesting on TikTok. You may have noticed that it's been a while since I've posted an episode, over a year, in fact, and that's because I tried to move to Bosnia and Herzegovina after getting a divorce last year and then met somebody here who I fell in love with and got engaged to and... Now I'm going to be sticking around here in the United States. Before I left, though, I had quite a few episodes just sitting on my computer waiting to be heard. So I'm going to start releasing those now, and I have one for you from my friend Kyle, a.k.a. Homebrew City, as he's known on TikTok. Now, I love doing homebrew beers, and Kyle does too, but he takes it to a whole new level. So I hope you'll enjoy this interview I did with him, and maybe we'll both learn a thing or two. Here it is now. Well, hello and welcome to the show and thanks so much for coming on to talk with me today. Thanks for having me, Arch. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you because I myself am a home brewer, but to start off, I guess my first question has to do with your uh, username and while I'm pretty sure I understand it, could you maybe introduce yourself a little bit and talk about the meaning behind at Homebrew City, which is your TikTok username? Yeah, so you can call me Kyle first off. Sure, thank you. It might be my government name, but let's go for it. <laughs> right. uh, homebrew City uh, is a little bit of a joke because we're home brewing, and I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is the brew city. But right. you do a little before and after, and we got Homebrew City. Nice. I like it. Well, and I'm, I guess, along those lines, I'm always curious how people get into home brewing because I, you know, I think some people do it because they love beer. Some might do it to try to save money or maybe be more self-reliant. So was, was there any particular motivation for you in terms of why you started doing homebrewing? So I actually started homebrewing a little over a decade ago. I was bartending at night at a country club. I had all these days to myself, I, new city, and I went, I have all this daytime hours to burn. And I did back-to-back weddings on a Friday, Saturday night. So I had a wad of cash. And I've always been interested in Baking. I've always loved cooking. And this is like the perfect meld of the two because you have the hard science of baking where you need to do your measurements and your water. But then you also have the freeform aspect of cooking in there as well, where you can just kind of like throw ingredients together, try and mingle flavors and just have fun with it. Sure. Yeah. Well, I didn't even, I didn't realize you were a bartender as well. So we had that in common, but I'm guessing you were a bit of a better bartender than I was because I was working at the kind of place where you just kind of pull 40s out of a fridge and hand it to people. <laughs> so uh, what kind of bartending were you doing? So I bartended a couple of different places. I did some on and off shifts at a corner bar when they needed extra help. I've worked at the country club, which was both the best and worst bartending experience of my life at the same time. And I also bartended at Hamburger Mary's for a while, which we don't know what that is. It's gay Applebee's, essentially. <laughs> gotcha. I did not know what that is. Is that like limited to a geographic region or have I just not come across one? You haven't come across it. There's, I think last time I checked, there's like eight of them in the U.S., but they're okay. scattered about. There's one in Chicago. There's one in Milwaukee. I believe Miami, L.A., a couple of different places. Nice. Very cool. Well, I, I guess the first well, second question, I guess, would be, uh, or maybe third. Maybe this is the third. Sorry. it's uh, We're recording this earlier <laughs> than like- I'm normally used to. I'm sorry. But uh, I would like to maybe talk about motivation for a second because you, you had a recent video I really liked, and I saw you gave kind of four tips for beginners, and I thought all of it was really great advice, particularly the last part about how long people have been brewing and so for people out there who think home brewing might be too difficult or, you know, just too big of a task they don't really want to take on, what, what advice would you give to them to maybe like get them to kind of get started or thinking about it? Yeah. So that last line is a line I use quite regularly. People have been making booze in their homes since before there was a written language. There was actually an archaeological dig that they did out in China where they found pots with residue of fermentation, yeast, wild grapes, rice, and honey, and they dated it somewhere between 7,000 and 6,000 BC. So when I say before there's a written language, I I mean it before there was a written language, people were fermenting in their homes. If they can figure this out, you have the entire world's history in this phone in your hand. 
True. You got, you, you got this. You got this. And honestly, with how our technology has increased, with our multi-extracts, our collective knowledge, growing and experimenting, if you can make brownies out of a box mix, you can make an extract beer. Sure. Yeah. Well, and did you, I'm curious, what was your, because I, I don't know, I, you, I'm sure you've heard of it, like Mr. Beer, I think. That was my first uh, beer kit, and it came in like a yeah. big box, you know, and it had like a fake beer, plastic beer barrel uh, <laughs> and stuff. And yeah, uh, that was the first thing I ever used. And I still haven't like advanced much further than that. We use kind of, I can't remember the brand name now, but they come in a different box. And I actually have a my own carboys and like a, you know, a coil, you know, copper thing to cool things down now. So like we're, we're a little bit more sophisticated, but not a lot. So I'm curious, what was your first one? <laughs> uh, my first one. So I went in with a couple of buddies on a Mr. Beer kit and it came out skunked because <laughs> either they fermented in a sunny spot or it was already bad when we got it. We don't know. So I don't really count that one. And I put it on, sure. it's on my belt. I made a Mr. Beer Kit kit. Cool. The first beer I actually made myself was a half of ice from Brewer's Best. That's it, I think. That's, I think, what I use. Uh, it's like a mm -hmm. blue and white box, right? Is that right? Yeah, blue and white box. Yeah, okay. That's what we uh, typically use. I, I love it. It was great. It was an extract kit. The instructions were very simple. The ingredients were not well labeled. It was... This is a hefe yeast. What does a hefe yeast mean? This is European hops. What European hops? It was <laughs> not easy to reproduce it without buying the exact same kit. And that's why I actually pitch for Northern Brewer a lot. Because when they give you the recipes and the recipe kits, they have it spelt out. It's these hops. It's mm. these malts. And how much of each one it is. So you can reproduce it yourself or talking to the guys at Northern Brewer because they're my local shop when they went touring to other locations and other local homebrew shops. Some of them actually have binders for recipes and it's just all of the Northern Brewer recipes printed out in their binders. Nice. And then they're like, that's cool. We love this. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, well, and for people, maybe I, I guess maybe I, when I was writing these questions, I should have been also more cognizant of the fact that not everyone homebrews. So what could you talk about? What are, what are the ingredients that go into beer? What, what, because you need four, right? It's four. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah, what the are those? four key, the four key ingredients to beer. Uh, most important is water. People mm -hmm. always leave that one out and think, Oh, whatever water is like, it's important. If you have mediocre water, you're going to get mediocre beer. And just right. because it's good drinking doesn't mean it's good for brewing because of, salts and gypsum and all these other stuff we're not going to cover that too much more than water is important buy spring water from your local grocery store it's worth the five dollars when you're spending 30 to 60 ingredients for beer sure, that's good advice there's malt which is uh, mostly barley that they roasted after they germinated it which gives you some sugars there's Hops, which gives us flavoring, bittering for balancing. And then there's yeast, which takes those malt sugars that you created and transforms that into some CO2 and some alcohol. Nice. Well, that's, I, that's only the beginning. That's only right. the beginning. There's so many more fun <laughs> things like fruited sours. Cool. Let's add fruit to it. You mm -hmm. want to go with like wits. Okay. Let's add some coriander and orange peel to it. You want to get really weird. I love spruce tip IPAs. A spruce Delicious. tip IPA that I've not had was what what's that like? So they harvest they harvest the spruce tips in the spring when they're fresh and buddy, and they throw them into the boil. I don't remember where in the beginning for the 60 full 60 minutes to get the bittering agents, maybe only last five for all the flavors and extracting those oils quickly. Delicious. It has an extra woodsy and it enhances the hop resinous characteristics. Nice. So good. Sounds really good. Now I have to try one of those. So thank you. <laughs> Hunt one down. Yeah. Well, my next question, I will admit it's part humble brag, but part genuine, genuinely <laughs> me asking uh, to seek knowledge. But my grandpa and I actually, we make our own maple syrup and we've you know, been doing it together the last couple of years, but he's been doing it for 
a long time now. And I've just learned kind of the last couple of years uh, how to do it. And then I also learned that you could make uh, mead with maple syrup, which I know you like to do as well. And I believe is called, I don't know how to say it, Acerglin or Acerglin. I'm not sure how you say it, pronounce Acer- it, I guess. Acerglin? Yeah, Acerglin okay. is how I say it. Okay, great. Well, so I made some last year. It turned out okay, but I've been saving some maple syrup back until I talked to you so you could give me some advice on how I can make it better this time. And so I'm curious, what, what do you like to do with your Acerglin and um, how, how do you make it? If you've, if right, you've there's, made it there's, there's an ongoing... Yeah, I've, I've, I made a batch. Uh, so yeah, my friends, they also have parents who do maple syrup and like two years ago i got a quart of it and it was a little too runny for pancakes so i'm you know let's ferment this uh but there's an ongoing joke in the mead community on tiktok that i am only like dry stuff which is not wrong (laughs) so what i like to do what i like to do is i go 50 50 sugars between wildflower clover honey and the maple syrup Okay, and then I use a, and then I use a kind of spicy red wine yeast, something that'll be good. So you know those dry red wines that pull out like the Syrahs or Malbecs. I use a yeast that's used for those, and it dries it out. It brings an extra little spice characteristic in there, and it really highlights the woodiness of the maple syrup. Nice, but it but it tastes like fresh cut cedar smells. And that turned a lot of people off because it's bone dry. Yeah. People, when I tell someone I have a maple syrup mead, they drink it and they get like this fresh wood taste in their mouth. They're, they're unsure what's going on here and it, they bounce off of it pretty quick. Gotcha. Okay. So what I would suggest for a normal person (laughs) who's not me, is once it's done fermenting, I would do all those same things I said, but once it's done fermenting, stabilize it. Potassium metabisulfite. So you add potassium metabisulfite or Camden tablets. That is a chemical that kicks out a ton of sulfur into the, into the solution. And it basically kills off your yeast or wild bacteria if you're doing it before you ferment. Then after you do that, potassium metabisulfite treatment, you add potassium sorbates to it. What that does is any remaining yeast that weren't killed off, those bind to the yeast and then prevent replication. So it won't keep fermenting on you again and again and again. Yeah, so then after you do that, rack that into a new container and then add more maple syrup or honey or both until it reaches the flavor you want. Awesome. Now, would that be why my... Because for some reason, it was, I guess maybe it was referment. I don't know what it was doing, but um, when I bottled it, you know, bottled fine. But then every time I opened it, uh, unlike, like I've had a few beers, maybe one or two do this, but every bottle (laughs) that I opened just would like, half of it would just be like foaming out as soon as I opened it. And I would have to like open it over like a, (laughs) you know, a bowl or something so I wouldn't lose it all. So would that help with that? So you're... Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, what happened is your fermentation wasn't actually done when you bottled it up. Mm, okay. Or you added fresh sugar to it and started a new fermentation when you bottled it up. It's it's a common problem. I, my first year, year and a half of brewing, that was I lost half of my batches by geysers when I opened up every bottle because I bottled it too early. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I'm going to definitely be going back and listening to this when I uh, do my next batch because that would be <laughs> super helpful. Thank you. Um, but moving to to beer, I guess, finally. Um, I So I'll be brewing next week, actually. And I, I usually I get together with a couple of friends. And I think half of it's just an excuse to hang out and drink beer because that's what you do when you're brewing beer. You drink it. It's, so <laughs> It's a long process. Yeah. It's a long process. You need to do something to kill all that time. Exactly. But I guess I have to know if you could only brew one type of beer for the rest of your life. I'm curious, what would it be and, and why? I, I I don't want this question. I don't like this question at all. <laughs> I, I <laughs> brew because I want to do different things. I want to taste different things. I want to experiment with different things. Sure. And a lot of those different things are things you can't buy in a store, which is why I brew. Uh, pu- pushed, pushed up against the wall, I have this 
pushed up against the wall, I have this recipe I call speed wheat. I use dry malt extract. I boil for between five and 15 minutes. I load it up with hops and I, it's basically what I use to experiment with different American hops, European hops, or yeasts, figure out what I like. And I can go grain, grain to glass in about like five days. Wow. And just a quick, easy summer sipper. But, but I, the reason I say this is it, it's a good base beer that I can do all sorts of things with. Like I used this, tweaked the recipe a little bit, and it was my New England IPA. I twisted the recipe a little bit a different way with the different yeast, and it now became a nice, simple wit beer that I used as a five-gallon starter for a Belgian triple. If we play with the word style, if I switch the yeast, hey, now it's a Saison. Sure, yeah. So I can still expand on it, or I can just use completely different hops and go from European to American to experimental. Very cool. Well, that sounds like that would be cool. <laughs> I'd like to try that. I don't think I've ever made anything like that. So, um, or at least that, that was that versatile. So, um, I'll, I'll post, I'll post my uh, core recipe in my link tree when this is done. Perfect. Okay, great. Um, well, and, and you mentioned, you know, uh, European, uh, hops and, I'm actually going to be leaving uh, next week as of this recording. And I'm going to go over to Bosnia Herzegovina, um, which is a whole long story, but they have something there called, <laughs> called Rakia, which is like a liquor um, that they make. Some call it like brandy or Bosnian moonshine, um, but it's, it's usually made from plums or grapes. And so I'm curious if you've had that before and what your thoughts are on it, because I don't know many people who have tried it before, but I'm also wondering what, what's the most exotic alcohol you've had is because I saw one of your videos recently and you went through your home bar and I saw you mention an artisanal Malort, which I, first of all, didn't know existed. But second of all, I have to know how that tastes, and whether or not it's any more <laughs> tolerable than regular Malort, uh, because my brother lives in Chicago and uh, I, so I know what Malort is enough to know that it's not like my favorite thing. So <laughs> I was surprised to see, I didn't, I was surprised to see it on a bar, first of all, but let alone artisanal. So, <laughs> so friend of mine he travels the world for work and then pleasure because he racks up free to flyer miles and he always tries to bring home a uh, local liquor i have not had that bosnian drink but it reminds me a lot of Obstwasser, which is just a german schnapps made from whatever quick brandy fruit they have lying around hmm, nice but malort was malort is actually uh an americanized version of bosque which is a swedish bitter liqueur which I have had as well. And that is better than Malort. Still very bitter, but there's a lot more florals and interesting other like honey-like sweetness that can come through, or at least in the one that I had. Uh, so the artisanal Malort actually is from, give me a second, I need to remember. Okay. But that artisanal Malort you're talking about, I got that from Balmer Peak Distillery. It's Bosque No Mort. And they were, went back to more of the Malort roots of the Basque drink and recrafted it from that. Because Malort, Malort's a challenge drink. It's something you buy as a joke and then you become acclimated to it enough so you don't even make a face anymore, mm -hmm. which is what I've ended up doing. Right. No, this, this Basque yeah, Nomort from this Basque Nomort from Walmart Peak Distillery, though, it, it has that same bitterness, but the bitterness like doesn't drip in a single solitary point in the back of your tongue. It kind of grows and envelops your entire mouth. There's a little bit more honey in there. There's a lot of florals, huge floral in that one. Uh, mm. Yes, it is better and easier to tolerate, but at the same time, no, it's not because it does take over your entire mouth the same way or it does take over your entire mouth, not the same way that Malort itself does. Gotcha. What's it called again? Because I need to try that, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, they only sell out of they only sell out of their distillery in Denver, Colorado, and it's Balmer uh, Peak. Okay. Uh, the guy came to visit. The guy uh, he made a test batch. 
batch. I have bottle three out of 420 of his test batch. Oh, wow. And he came to Chicago to pitch them and sell them. And he's changed the recipe twice since. He's now openly selling these. And now it's a rum base instead of whatever he was using before as the base. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I always like when people switch. There's a, oh, what's it called? I think it's called a grander rum. Have you ever heard of that? It's no, like, a, I found it at a, there's a big like liquor store down in Cincinnati. And I went down there one time and I, w- they had like a little sampling there and I, they were like, this is actually rum, but it, like it was a whiskey tasting. And I was like, well, why do you have rum? And they said that it was actually made. Um, I forget what country, uh, what Latin American country it was made in, but um, mm-hmm. they, the way they make it is, it's a rum that they basically make like a bourbon. And um, so they like age it, you know, in, in barrels and everything. And so you, it like kind of tricks you and like, you feel like you're tasting a, you know, bourbon, but it's just like a little, you know, sweeter. And um, like, you definitely can tell it's rum, but like, it kind of fools you for a second. And um, I, and I really liked that. So um, I that's really like, interesting. Yeah. I would definitely recommend it. It's good, but um but, and then the Rakia thing, they do sell it. Like, obviously the best kind is to get like real Rakia, like moonshine, you know, from someone from Bosnia, but uh, they do yeah. sell it in uh, um, some stores around here. I think, I think it's called, I, I always get confused, which is the actual name of the type of alcohol versus there's a brand name that's really slim, similar, but it's like Slivovitz, which I think is the name of the type of alcohol. Oh yeah. I've had battery acid. Okay. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh so yeah, you so you tried it then. Yeah, I've had that one. I've had that yeah. one. I, yep. I mean, there's there's some things when you go brand name versus like people that put their heart and soul into it. Nothing against Schlevowitz, but it, it it's earned its nickname battery acid. <laughs> yeah. No, so I, I don't know if the rest of that <laughs> liquor is in the same category. Well, they, it's cool because they do so many different things with it, like to make it into different like liqueurs too. Like you can drink the straight, you know, battery acid kind of uh, rakia, but then they also will like, you know, put fruit in it and then like leave it out in the sun for a month or like walnuts or all kinds of stuff, you know, and it's it's really good. We went to like a, well, I went over there one time, we went to this little monastery and there was, it's like an Orthodox monastery and this, these like monks made like cheese and rakia <laughs> so uh, and they were great and like all of them of course were like not like they were all quote-unquote medicine you know <laughs> they called them and he was like this one's good for like headaches and this one's good for i was like i've never seen an alcohol that was good for headaches but cool okay so um, this one's good for remembering the good times this one's good for remembering the best times yeah exactly my favorite though was I bought just some straight rakia and like everybody was in line and he was telling them like, well, this one's good. If you like, you know, put some in your uh, temples and it'll do blah, blah, blah. And then I got up and he was like, uh, this one's just Bosnian medicine. <laughs> I was like, okay. I like that. So, um, but, uh, but that reminded me too, when we were talking about, you know, different places to go to make, make alcohol. Um, I, that reminded me of this place I love to go to Sarajevo, but so I'm curious, um, do you like going on brewery tours? Is that, does it, do you kind of nerd out on that or are you kind of like, ah, I've been there, seen that kind of thing? Yeah, I, it depends on the tour. Some of them are, you know, they're just going over the very basics. They're for the average beer consumer. There's a tour in my town in particular that I love though, because it's essentially a hard hat tour. You have to show up early on a Sunday, if they still have this thing anymore. But you show up early on a Sunday, they pour you a breakfast beer and they give you a technical tour where they have one of the brewers actually giving the tour. And it takes twice as long as a normal tour and they'll go through all of the stuff. Why do we do a 90 minute boil? Why do we reuse our yeast only five times, not four, not six? Why do we do this? Where do we get our malts from? Where else have we done test malts from? Here's our five-gallon test room where we're experimenting on new recipes. Like, those are the tours I enjoy. Best tour I've ever been on, though, 
this place must have been only 30 square feet. I swear it was an old kitchen. Mm-hmm. He had a one barrel system. So he's pumping out two kegs of batch. This is Lubeck Brewing Company out in Lubeck, Maine, the eastmost city in the U.S. But it's a one barrel system. So that's two kegs of batch. Right. Think about how small it is. Think about how like he can fine tune his stuff. And he was out there and I was talking with him because that's where we went for our honeymoon. He's like talking shop. Like, have you done this? Oh yeah, I'm trying this out. Oh, you're doing this. Did you notice this? Like, yeah. And then he started like just opening tap lines. Like, oh yeah, this thing's actually fermenting here. Try this out. It's only been on here for two days and it was almost done. Really? Two days? Take a sip. Wow, that is almost done. And it's not that cloudy either. Even pulling from the trub. Oh, hey, try this. Pulling from the bright tank. Oh, wow, this is fun. It was great. That was the best brewery tour I ever was on. And it was its literally one man operation, two kegs of batch. And I loved it. I hope he is still going. I hope he has expanded his operation. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine putting all that work in. Like there's no margins if you're making two kegs of batch. Yeah, that's, that's, I've never heard of one that small, but that's kind of cool. I, <laughs> I would love to visit that. You said that's in Maine, right? Yeah, Maine. Lubeck, Maine. Awesome. You have to fly into Portland, Maine, and then do like a two, three hour drive on top of it. Oh, okay. Well, that makes me think too, you know, like we, Dayton, you know, we're, I think we're like maybe a quarter or a fifth even of the size that Milwaukee is, but in the last 10 years or so, like there's just been kind of a microbrewery explosion and there's a lot in Dayton proper even, and then the suburbs around Dayton have quite a few microbreweries. So I'm curious, what's the microbrewery scene like in Milwaukee? Seems huge in Milwaukee. We're, we've started to plateau, to be honest. So we're okay. opening as many as are closing. But I haven't, gotcha. I have not kept my ear to the ground the same way I used to. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a stage in my home brewing career where I am mostly self-sufficient. Well, I don't usually ask people to talk about things like that they advertise for um, on the show a whole lot, but I saw something on your uh, link tree that I was really curious about and I had not seen before, and that was the Rizzori Growler, and I was really yeah. curious, what, what is that, and is it worth getting? Because it looks really cool. Okay, I define worth differently than a lot of other people, because worth is very dependent on who you are and what you're doing and how you could use it. I find it very useful because I'm doing a lot of growler pulls from my home tap and I'm taking it all over the place. I'm going to parks. I'm going to friends' houses. I'm going to beer shares. So I'm constantly finding use with, for it. If you are doing a lot of growler pulls, either at your home or at a bottle shop that has tap lines or your local brewery. Yes. It is cheaper than those other carbonated growlers. And because it has those CO2 cartridges on it, it does last longer and it doesn't go flat the same way normal growlers do. But if you don't do a lot of growler pulls or you do a growler pull specifically for an event and you drink it that day, not not really. No, I would say no. Well, I guess I'm not even sure if I do growler pulls or not because I'm not entirely sure what they are. So is that just meaning like you're... Yeah, you just go you just go to the bar and get one filled up. Oh, okay, gotcha. And so then can you so because I almost I felt like I saw maybe I'm not remembering this right, but is there a tap with the growler? Like a like oh, yeah, it, it has an integrated tap in it. Because that was the coolest part to me, I guess. <laughs> I was curious oh, that how is, that works. It is so cool. It is so cool. Yeah, this one the CO2 it is, it works the same way any other keg works. There's a CO2, there's CO2 being pumped in, pushing down pressure down from the top so if you have it over if it charged too high it's going to push too fast it's too low you're going to lose your carbonation and get flatter beer and as it pushes down from the top when you open the tap you give the beer someplace to go so it goes up that tube from the bottom and into your glass very cool it's useful it's fun it's a little expensive it's a little expensive i'm not going to lie I mean, what, what kind of price range are we talking about? It's cheap. Um, for a half, yeah, for the half gallon one, it's like ninety bucks, maybe eighty bucks. I, have, I haven't looked at it, the price in a while. 
Gotcha. The price will slowly come down, but that's all, but that's still the cheapest one on the market. There's like two or three other tap. There's like two or three other pressurized growlers like that. And they're easily over a hundred bucks. Well, okay. Well, no, that's good to know. I, uh, that, might, that seems like maybe the kind of thing, uh, me and um, my friends might go in on together. I don't know. <laughs> so, that's yeah, if you're cool. splitting, if you're splitting the costs on it, and you have someone who kegs their homebrew, it's easily worth it. Because now you have to figure out, okay, how am I transporting this beer from my keg to somewhere else? Well, I guess that's another question I have. So, can you take it directly from the like the you know finishing up the brewing process and putting it directly into it or do you have to keg it first and then put it in there i don't know i've never done in kegging my beer so in, th- in theory in theory in theory you can go you finish the brew process put it in there put a fresh co2 cartridge on there and then set up the psi so it can carbonate okay. uh, I, I i wouldn't personally because those little co2 cartridges are not cheap well, so you are, as we said, homebrew city on TikTok, and I've checked out your link tree, and there's a lot you got going on. So I'm, I'm curious, what's the best <laughs> way for people to learn more about you and all that you do? So I have a lot going on that link tree because this is a learning channel first and foremost, and when I'm trying to teach people, I like to have references and documentation and sharing. So down that link tree is. Some my recipes that I'm currently planning or tapping or just referencing. Mm-hmm. There's little tools for you want to design a mead here. Go to this, go to this page. It'll help you design your mead recipe to make one on your own. You want to carbonate your stuff in bottles. Here's a calculator to help you figure that out and split up in such a way where you can use table sugar, corn sugar, maple syrup, honey, all of it. So I, I love to give all of these references. I love to give all these points because these help me out a lot as well. And it's a one-stop sh- The goal for this link tree is a one-stop shop for I need to know something about home fermentation. Is this a tool that exists or is there some quick information I can grab? And boom, there it is on the tree. Nice. Well, and you're also in a um, homebrew club, right? Would you recommend people do that if they're interested in getting into brewing? Oh, obviously, yes. Uh, the homebrew club is great. Every club is a little different, though, the way mine is set up. They split between craft beer and homebrew. So every other month, they have someone in the craft beer space show up and talk about their brewery, what they see that's going on, and they bring samples. The other half, they do homebrew stuff, where it's we had Omega Yeast show up and give a talk about their yeast and their business process. We had a local malter show up and talk about what it's like being artisanal malter in Milwaukee and then shared a bunch of beers that were made specifically with that malter's stuff. And it's also just a giant beer share. Mm-hmm. You can go in with a six pack of just random things you have lying around your house and you will walk out with. 30 extra untapped samples nice that sounds awesome (laughs) but again we have like over 100 people in ours and so you just kind of float around and share and talk and the people i end up talking to the most at mine are judges for beer and mead competitions and they give me pointers they give me information i i was really upset about one of my scores for one of my wines that's been to a competition. I want him to go over it with me. And I gave him half of a bottle of this stuff. I'm like, I think this is a really good wine. Well, here, take half of the bottle. Thanks for helping me. Nice. Well, I, I guess maybe I need to look into mine. So I haven't joined yet. So maybe maybe this will be the motivation I needed. But Hey, one of, one of the top links, one of the top links in my link tree is the American Homebrewers Association map. We can type in your zip code. And it will show you your local homebrew clubs. Perfect. There we go. So, you know, recently I was trying to kind of cut back on my alcohol consumption a bit. And um, I was kind of getting into looking into non-alcoholic beers. And I've never found a decent one (laughs) before until (laughs) like very recently, like this week, I went 
and I found a flying dog. Uh, what was it called? Deep fake, I think is what it's called. And um, it's an IPA. It's a good name for an NA. Yeah. <laughs> so it's got really cool artwork on it, you know, so you, sh- you still feel like you're drinking a craft beer, which you are, you're drinking a craft beer. It's just not an alcoholic. And so I guess maybe for the people out there who I know I've got some friends who, uh, you know, struggle with alcoholism, but they still, you know, like, mm-hmm. like to drink uh, non-alcoholic beers. So uh, what are yeah. some other ones I should try or be aware of um, that I could get a hold of? So uh, you, you touched on something that's actually, super super prevalent in the hobby and even the craft hobby as well there's a lot of people who do have an alcohol problem and it's it's good to be aware of it that's why i participate in dry january and encourage everyone else to do as well it's why i also try and do a one day clean a week because you can drink and it's harder it's harder when you're doing like Instagram and TikTok beer stuff. Like, no, you, you need content. So you're doing content, mm-hmm. but make sure you're like, you know, one one day, one day drink two beers for filming, and then the next day drink nothing. Sure, you do need alcohol is literally a poison. You are mm-hmm. slowly poisoning yourself with it. So just be cognizant, be aware, and there are people in the hobby who do have issues. So we need to be aware and supportive of that. So for non-alcoholic beers, athletic brewing has some of the best NAs, and they have a wide range. They have a Pilsner, they have a West Coast IPA, they have, I think they have an Amber that I was looking at the other day. And they've actually hit in the top 25 sellers for beer in the US. Oh. And what did you and say? They only Is athletic? Stuff. Yeah, sorry. athletic. Okay. I didn't mean to. They're doing great stuff. Gotcha. No, yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, so Uh, it's Athletic Brewing Company. They only make NA beers. They're delicious. And they do something different with how they make their beers. Because normally when you make a non-alcoholic beer, you make your normal beer, and then you do an extra simmer process to boil off that alcohol. But that brings in extra bitterness because you reheat those hop particles that are still in suspension in there. So it now becomes more bitter than what the normal beer would have been. They do something different. I don't know what they do. It's a trade secret, but theirs isn't the extra bitterness of an NA beer from the boil process. I fascinating. Interesting. Now, have you made them, also? Have you made NAs at home too? No, uh, no. I I make hop tea. Uh, here, here's a filming secret of mine. You ready for this? Yeah. If you see a beer that's a little extra cloudy and a little extra orange, it's probably hop tea. Nice. Just so I can like, because if you're doing eight, if you're doing eight takes of you slamming a beer, you're you're gone. Right. You can't do this anymore. Yeah. You can drink. You can easily drink four beers because something happened in the recording, something happened in the audio. You multiple multiple takes of you drinking something down. So I have Hopti on hand, which I use for some of my recordings because I don't like this take. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. And it kind of tastes like a West Coast IPA. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and now you can get it at any grocery store. I, I want to talk about that because I um, it's funny you mentioned it because literally like two days ago, I finally got my, um, you know, like, uh, what do you call it? Those... Um, things where you can carbonate, you know, water. Um, I got one of those because yeah. I, I used to love this. There was this company and I think they were out of Cincinnati called hot water. And I, yeah. like, I loved them. And then they just like disappeared, like without a trace. Like I can't even, I found maybe some pictures of them online and that's it. <laughs> I can't find where they went. But then yesterday or not yesterday, but a couple of days ago, I was in a, a coffee shop, local coffee shop that used to sell the hop water and they had hop tea. And I can't remember if that's the name. Uh, it's, there's a company that made the brand, but it was called hop tea. And um, and I had looked a while ago into just making my own. And that's why I bought this. And so I'm curious if you make your own ever like hop water or not. And if so, like, how do you go about doing that? I, I make my own hop tea. Quite regularly, a friend of mine grows hops, and you just grow so much. There's so much you can't you can't brew with all of it at once. Well, we did once, but we only harvested half the batch. Mm-hmm. But what he 
what you do to make hop tea is you get, I don't remember the measurements off the top of my head. I have a video of it somewhere. I have the recipe written down somewhere else. I didn't think we were talking about this. So I didn't pull it up. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, load up, I load up a French press with hops. I think it's like an ounce to ounce and a half. And then I just cover it in hot water. And I let that sit. I mix that up and I let that sit for like five minutes. You don't need a lot of time. The longer it sits in warm conditions, the more bitterness it extracts from those hops. Then after that, you press down as hard as you can on your French press, pour it into a bottle, and you chill it as fast as you can. I just put it in the fridge, though. And that's it. The hops is the most expensive part. And if you're really into this, whole cone hops, buy them in bulk. Put pop in your freezer. As long as they stay mostly vacuum sealed, you're all right. What are they called again? Hops. I'm sorry. Whole cone hops. Whole cone? Okay. Yeah. So hops come in three varieties. There's mm-hmm. pellets, which is the most common that you probably use. There's whole cones, which is what the hop cone actually looks like before they grind it up and compact them and pelletize them. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. But there's also a resinous hop, which is hop dust or hop powder, they call sometimes. It, so they clean out the machines from pelletizing, and it's this almost oily kind of debris-y substance that you can use as well. Gotcha. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've used both pellets in the, I guess they're, I didn't know they were called Holcon. I just, I was just like, oh, these are regular hops. I didn't know what the, <laughs> the name was, but uh, I don't think yeah. I've used the third kind you were talking about yet. But um, so then can you... Like once you do that, can you then carbonate it though too? You, in theory, you can. I have never tried. Okay, but you would Is need it, you would need one of your machines to carbonate it because there's no active yeast in there to do that carbonation. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because that's but what I really be careful. Be careful. Yeah. What do I need to look out for? So I would I would be. Yeah. So I would be careful with using those machines because. Sometimes if there's extra particles in there, uh, a guy tried to carbonate a mead in one of those, and it, that CO2 clung to so many different things inside that bottle, it practically exploded when he was trying to carbonate it. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Well, that's good to know. I will try to be careful then. <laughs> yeah, that's why they say only use it for water. Gotcha. All right. Well, um, I... Probably better let you go, but before I do, I wanted to ask the question I ask everyone who comes on the show, which is that, um, you know, I'm wondering if you have any podcast or book or TV or movie recommendations. And I, I saw that you do have a reading list on your uh, link tree, so I'm kind of hoping uh, you'll talk maybe about a couple of those books that you're reading as well. Oh yeah, so I have two reading lists. I have what I'm actively, actively, I have what I'm passively reading, and things that I think <laughs> people who are into the hobby or trying to get into the hobby should look at. Uh, what I am passively reading is two of the four brewer's guide books. There's one on malt, there's one on yeast, there's one on hops, and there's one on water. I am trying to get through malt. I'm reading the history of it. The history is really interesting. The technical aspects of it, I'm not a huge fan of. Same thing okay. with the hops book. I'm reading the history part. History is super interesting. History is super fun. But a lot of the technical stuff, I either kind of know or it's out of date because the book's like a decade old. Okay, gotcha. Besides that, I am reading Jack Keller's home winemaking book. Jack Keller is the master when it comes to backyard wines. And he had a blog that was the most informative collection of wine recipes and how-tos for beginner and intermediate and advanced winemakers and all sorts of things. He fermented everything. He had five recipes for strawberry wines on that website. He had watermelon wine. He had a middle wine. You know those little like almost thistle things from the UK? He made a wine out of those and he he had the recipe on how to do it. Like this guy was insane. He would ferment anything (laughs) that he could. And he inspired a lot of my winemaking and experimentation through that nice. blog. So I got his I got his book, which is not an easy read, but it's a great read. Okay, cool. Uh, besides that, there is one document 
that I want to talk about that I don't know where I can find it anymore. I watched it years ago called Beer Wars. It goes through what's going on right now with the three-tier distribution system and how Anheuser-Busch is screwing it up, preventing craft breweries from exploding and becoming as profitable and large as they could be because they're taking over the distribution channels subtly and unofficially taking it over, which then pushes out all the craft people. Wow. That's interesting. I had not even heard about that. So along those lines, I think I'd heard that Goose Island was bought by a, one of the, it may have been Budweiser even, I can't remember. And yeah. is that, is yeah, that correct? Budweiser. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that, that's happening a lot then, right? No. Oh yeah. It's happening all over the place. Uh, Goose Island is one of the larger ones that this happened to. There's also a really good book on that. It's called Barrel Aged Stout and Selling Out, okay. which goes over how Goose Island formed. Then in the middle, it's about the acquisition and showing all sorts of stats and numbers about how much Goose Island was producing and selling, how much Anheuser-Busch was producing and selling. They also talk about how Anheuser-Busch was taking over the craft market by limiting their ability in the distribution channels. And the last is the fallout after the sale. Best thing about that book though, and the third area of it with the fallout of other people leaving Goose Island. If you go through just that section and see this brewer went here, this brewer went here, this brewer went here, this brewer went here. It is in an unsorted order, the best breweries of Chicago. Hmm. Wow. It's half acre. It's off color. It's revolution. It's it's all it's just a checklist down the line. It's Maplewood. It's all the best breweries of Chicago are basically people that left Goose Island after Anheuser Busch bought them. Oh, okay, good. I thought you were saying Revolution had like sold out too, and I was like, oh no, I really like Revolutions. <laughs> oh no, I love Revolution. Uh, yeah. Revolution actually did something. Revolution this past year actually had a huge milestone where they fully bought their brewery from who they're leasing it from. Oh, nice. They now own their building. They're never That's leaving. Cool. Now, is there... Do you know how many locations you, they have outside of your head? Because there's one I know for sure in my brother's neighborhood, like in Logan, Logan Square in Chicago. But I don't know if that's yeah, just Yeah, Logan like, Square one is the one I know of. That's not okay. their main one. They have another building that's their brewery proper. Okay, but that Logan you. Square one's nice. I've been there a couple of times because a friend lives like a mile from there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to visit him next week, actually. So I'll probably stop over there. <laughs> uh, Do yourself a favor. Get... They still have some anti-hero malort. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll try that. That sounds good. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Well, um, I guess before I let you go, I know you had a uh, an injury recently, so I was wondering if you could yeah. maybe explain what happened if you're comfortable with it, but I'm more curious how your recovery is going. So uh, I, I thank you for asking. What happened is I tore my ACL. I, I play a sport it's called hurling. It, I describe it as Irish lacrosse instead of that nice little field that they have, that little net on the pole. It's a flat wooden paddle and the pitch is larger than a soccer field. It, it's a lot of running. It's a lot of smacking a ball around. And sometimes there's some like bumping. Uh, so I got a pretty bad hit during a practice and I knee buckled and tore my ACL. But yeah, it's not fun. I'm my healing's going all right right now. It's never going to heal on its own. That's the thing about an ACL tear. It's never going to heal on its own. It's either always going to be there or you go in for surgery. And I opted for surgery so I can buckle my knee again in a different way in a couple of years. Sure. Uh, so yeah, uh, as of the recording, I am meeting with a physical therapist again to work on my prehab, which is. They want me to be extra muscular in that leg before the surgery so I can recover faster after it. And then tomorrow I'm talking to orthopedic surgeon to actually schedule it. But oh. yeah, but I'm, I'm just going through the entire process because when I was looking up information on ACL tears, I was seeing a lot of doctors. I was seeing a lot of physical therapists. I was not seeing a lot of people, just people. 
and I was not seeing anyone talk about the costs. Yeah. And as someone with a high deductible plan and an HSA that's about to be zero dollars uh, in like a week or so, I wanted to be like completely upfront about everything. Here are the struggles. Here's what my process is. Here's what I'm doing. And then just fully talk about the costs because nowhere, nowhere I could find actual numbers on what this is going to run you. Right. Well, I hope it, you know, isn't too terrible and best of luck on the recovery. Uh, I, knee injuries are no joke. I only had a slight one. I tore my meniscus doing jujitsu and I still haven't really been back since then. So um, I, I hope you have a speedy recovery and, um, and everything and most, and that's mostly because I'm lazy, not because of my knee, <laughs> just to clarify. <laughs> but, hey, uh, habits, habits are hard. Once you get yeah. in the habit of not doing something, it's hard to get back in. It is. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It's a, uh, well, not to make it about me, but it's very different. Like, I feel like I just going back, I feel like I'm a white belt again, you know, <laughs> I don't remember anything. And I, you know, I don't feel comfortable being like uh, in some of the positions I used to be fine in, you know, so it's kind of, it's a little frustrating. It's hard to get motivated to try it again. So I've been doing more biking and squash now, but we'll see. So. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a thing when, when you are out for an extended period of time, you do feel like you revert, but you don't take the same amount of time to get back to where you were. Your, your muscle memory kicks yeah. in pretty quickly. I'm sure that's true. Well, maybe I should get back out there. <laughs> get back out there. Do it. Well, I will, I will consider that. And uh, definitely though, get some of that revolution alert. <laughs> <anti-hero. laughs> uh, and thanks so much for coming on to talk to me. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun talking with uh, another home brewer, especially someone as knowledgeable as you. And I hopefully, you know, people go check out your uh, account and because uh, there's a lot of great knowledge there. So thank you so much. Thanks Arch. Have a good day. All right, that was my interview with Kyle, a.k.a. Homebrew City from TikTok, and it was great talking with him and learning more about homebrewing, including everything from N.A. beers to making maple syrup mead. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, please be sure to like and subscribe, and I will have future episodes for you, I promise, partly because I've recorded some of them over a year ago, and I'm trying to get them all out there. As I alluded to earlier, there's a lot of side projects I'm working on, everything from being a wedding officiant and a mediator to leading people on trips to Bosnia and Herzegovina. So if that sounded interesting to you when we were talking about Rakia, you'll definitely want to join me on a trip there. I'm putting some together right now, so please check out my website, gemcitydudistpriest.com, where you can learn more about all those side projects one of which is a t-shirt that I'm now selling. So I hope you'll go check that out and other things that I'm doing as well. Thanks so much for listening and take care, everybody.